0: It is well with my soul. I read this week in Psalm 56, it said, In God shall I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And uh, when I sing, It is well with my soul, I remember that. um, Christ has come to redeem our innermost being. He didn't come to save us from fleshly enemies. He came to save us from... Both flesh. Um, he came us to, to save us from condemnation. He came to save us from wrath. I think a lot of people in the Bible Belt know that God, Jesus saves. I just wonder how many people know what Jesus saved us from. If you went to an, your average... If you went to your, your standard semi-church-going Christian in the South... Who can speak bible And you said, Jesus saves. I think you'd get an amen. I think you would. And then if you wanted to really make things interesting, you ask them, what, what, what does Jesus say from? And I think they would say, from my sins. I think. That's what most people would say. And if you asked them to explain that, I think you would get all kinds of answers. Um, Jesus saves us from our sins. The scripture is very clear on that. But if I were to tell you that God saved me from God, what would you think about that? God the Son saves me in Christ from the wrath of God the Father. And that is what it means to be saved from your sins. My sin got me condemnation, it gets me wrath, it gets me execution. And in Christ I am received, I am justified, I am restored, and I am adopted. Um, that is the essence of the gospel this morning. Um, I, I usually ask good morning, I just got, got good morning church. I don't, I'll don't usually say that, but I got going this morning. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out with an idea this morning. I was born male. Most of y'all are going. Okay. All right. You gotta see where this is going. <laughs> it took me a very long time to figure out what it means to be a man. Took me a while. Still learning. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch my wife where she could utter that under her breath. <laughs> um, still learning. But in America, we are a very sexually confused people. Very confused. We think that we can be a woman on Monday and be a man on Tuesday. We think that we can get divorced because of irreconcilable differences and tear apart what God has joined together. We think that manhood is about muscles and trucks, and we think womanhood is about Thin waistlines and bikinis. We think that um, submission is about inferiority. We think that authority is about domination. We think that marriage is ultimately about us and not about God. We have convinced ourselves that pornography is a leisurely activity with no effect whatsoever on our souls or on the person we love. We are a sexually confused people. I'm going to hit it. Biblical. Here's here's the idea I want to start out with this morning. Biblical sexuality is a gift from God to help us see our need for Jesus and to present the gospel to the world in marriage. Therefore, Satan is hell bent on perverting it. I was never taught about biblical sexuality in church growing up. Never. I was given books about why I don't need to have sex before marriage. I was given that. But at no time did anyone ever come up to me and tell me what it means to be a man. And I bet Satan loved that. While my church-going community saw Abby. They saw a kid that treated women with respect. They saw a guy that uh, really didn't go on any dates. I don't know what they thought about that. Um, And uh, they saw a kid who uh, didn't have premarital sex. And they went, that kid knows what it's about. I didn't have a clue what it was about. I was just towing the biblical Bible belt line. I think I was afraid of women, too, I think. And... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And, um, you know, I think I know why I wasn't taught about biblical sexuality. The leaders at my church, and I'm not bashing my church here, because there is no perfect church, and my church did a lot of good things. But the leaders at my church were so... Careful to protect me from the evils of sex, the pervasive evils of sex in our surrounding cultures, something they should be doing, the church, I mean, that they forgot to teach me something as simple as, Abby, here's what manhood is. For years I was always hearing, This is bad, Abby, stay away from this. At no time did I ever hear, This is good, Abby. Abide in this. And here's a thought this morning. The church will never know why sexual immorality is so evil until it is shown why biblical sexuality is so good. It is good. He saw that it was good. It is very good. Well, what's so good about it? Good for you, God. I'm glad you were happy with it. No, if God says it's good, it is the best kind of good. And I'm afraid that millions upon millions of men and women have no idea why it's so good. The Bible has plenty to say about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. So if you'll you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. And once you've found it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. and Moses writes by by the Spirit, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. Where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. Which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a, a woman and brought her to the man. Then the Lord said, Then the man said, "'This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh.'" And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we want to make much of you this morning. We want to exalt you on high. We want to bless your name. Hallowed be your name. Father, we're here to worship you. Father, this morning we praise you because you have given us hearts of flesh, not of stone. Given us a spirit of love and not of fear. Father, in Christ, we are blameless. We're counted free. And Father, you have embedded the message of the gospel, that that very news, the news that we are saved. You foreshadowed that in man and woman. Father, give us tender hearts this morning, soft hearts, keen minds to read your word so that, Father, you can teach us the most precious news on earth. Father, turn our our eyes and our hearts away from the fleeting pleasures and things of this world. Give us clean hands and pure hearts this morning. Show us what it means to be a man and to be a woman. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name, amen. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to say. Although Adam and Eve are set atop God's creation, ruling over it, their manhood and womanhood are designed to teach them that they are not self-sufficient. Ultimately, embedded in their sexuality is the message of the gospel. I'm going to read that one more time. Although Adam and Eve are set atop God's creation, ruling over it, their manhood and womanhood are designed to teach them that they are not self-sufficient. Ultimately, embedded in their sexuality is the message of the gospel. So, Genesis 2 is pretty remarkable for how descriptive it is. It's not like Moses said, there was a bunch of trees, there were some rivers, uh, there were two people, yada, 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 this is what God did. No, he actually gives names. Um, I'm not sure about the mists popping up out of the ground. I think of it, when I read that, I think of like the Brave Stadium them like, you know, the little things that come out and water the turf. Um, Came out, I mean, that's pretty much what I think about. God is... God is remarkable. He is watering the earth with mist from the earth. He takes the dust of the earth and breathes life into man. He plants a garden in the east. There are rivers flowing everywhere. This is a kingdom. God is the king. Adam is the prince. And then he's got two commands for Adam. Work the garden and don't eat the fruit. Verses 15 through 17. Let's read those real quick. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So forever, as long as Adam lives... He will dwell with God. He will rule over everything. He doesn't even have to farm the land. He just picks and eats. And he works the garden and has dominion. What a life. Adam, here you go. It's all yours. I mean, it's mine. But you rule it for me. Adam is God's vice-regent to rule over everything God has made. I think that's a good way of putting it. But there's one thing that isn't good. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, it is good. Day 6, it is very good, but one thing isn't good. What is it? He's alone. Verse 18. I don't know if I put that up or not. Did I not? Let me just read it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Man is, yeah, there it is. Man is not created to be self-sufficient. Men who are married in this room, marriage is designed to tell you you are not sufficient. Marriage is by design supposed to humble you, and if it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. God makes a helper for Adam. This is going to be someone who is equal with Adam, but different. How do we know that? Because she's not just different, she's what? Fit for him. She's fit. Woman is created for man. Okay, That's kind of a radical statement today. A lot of people don't like that. What do you mean, woman's made for man? Well, Paul even cements it in 1 Corinthians. Here's what he says. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Women, you would not be here if it weren't for men. Hold on. Okay. Make sure. Hold on. Men, you wouldn't be here if who didn't bring you into the world? A woman. It's almost like God knew what he was doing there. And these women, men, are your reminder that it's not good to be alone. You need help. From the very beginning, in the context of marriage, manhood and womanhood are about equality with order. Do you think that God would provide all of those things in Genesis 1 and 2. All the order, all the, the light meets the dark, the water meets the land, all these things, even the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim, everything God has made is in order. Do you think, do you, do you, do you possibly think that man and woman wouldn't have some kind of order in it? And it was good. Order isn't a bad word. See, our culture has a big problem with order. Today in America, we think authority means superiority. We think uh, submission means um, subservience. But the Bible stands against that logic completely, and we can really see it most epitomized in the triune God. The Trinity is our number one example to tell us that there is such a thing as equality with authority. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal in attributes, in deity, and in glory, and yet there is order. The word helper here, that she is a helper fit for him, that same word or a similar word is used for the Holy Spirit as a helper to the church. And the Holy Spirit's got a whole lot more dignity and worth than the church. Ladies, if the son can submit himself to the father and if the Holy Spirit can help the church, you can submit yourself to your husband. Men, if the son can become a servant to the church, you can serve your bride. The Trinity squashes every ounce of pride we have or could possibly have in a marriage. Here's another way of putting it. Man needed help. God made woman. Man and woman are interdependent, and both man and woman are dependent on God. Let's read verses 19 through 23, the heart. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, "'This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh.' She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So God parades every single living creature in front of Adam and lets Adam name them. But something's missing. God is preparing Adam for his most special gift. He is preparing Adam for something that is fundamentally and categorically different than animals. He brings every animal to Adam and lets them name them. But the problem is that Animals are good companions, but they're not fit for Adam. Animals are great, but there's something missing. And and God wants Adam to know that. So that by the time he's done, Adam's going, "Uh." he wants Adam to feel the need. He wants Adam to feel the longing. So he causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. He takes one of his ribs, closes it up, makes a woman, and it's like, it's like Christmas morning. Adam's like, Adam, hold on. Here we go. Come on. What's up? <gasps> what, what, it, what, what? Hey. There she is. That, that's mine. Yeah. And you can name her. Really? And Adam says, well, she's like me, but she's different. I'm Ish. I'll call her ish I'm a man. She's a woman. My favorite two words in this passage are at last. He says, at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me, man. I think perhaps the most compelling evidence in the Bible to the fact that men do have authority over women in the context of marriage is the fact that Adam names Eve, which in ancient Near Eastern culture and in the Bible is one of the clearest signs of authority. Here, I, I had to quote this. I just, there's no other way I can say it other than to just quote him. Here's what Owen Strand says. I want everyone to... I mean, this is just fantastic. We cannot miss the significance of the woman's formation. She came into being through Adam's own body. Without losing a rib, she would not have existed. The implications of this truth are profound. Every time Adam looked at Eve, he would think, she came out of my body. Every time Eve looked at Adam, she would think, he gave his body for me. Yahweh communicated something impossibly profound in this physiological feat. The man is summoned by God to revere and protect the woman. The woman is summoned by God to respect and trust the man. This is the strongest argument in all the earth against masculine abuse and feminine distrust. Love is coded into the very body of the first man and the first woman. Adam gives his own body for Eve and she loves him in return. What does that sound like? Which is why we call Jesus the second Adam. Jesus will give not just his rib, but his entire body for his bride. He will protect her. He will serve her. He will die for her. He will give his life so that she can live. And because of his great love for her, the church submits to his authority, follows him, and trusts him. Here's another way of putting it. Manhood and womanhood are preparing the world for and are fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men serving and loving their brides and brides trusting and submitting to their husbands in love is a grand display of what Christ has done for His church. I got asked recently um, by uh, a group of ladies. I came in. They were having a Sunday school, I think. And uh, they said, Hey, we've got a question, Pastor. I said, Okay. They said... um, how do we teach our kids and our grandkids about homosexuality and transgenderism? And I was like, I thought this was going to be like a, an easy question. They're like, well, if you don't have time, it's fine. I'm like, well, I mean, I, no, I mean, I, it's a good question. And they were really concerned. And I said, I think the first thing we need to do is to make sure they understand Genesis 2. Genesis 2. The church. Here's what I want. Here's what I told him. The church has no chance of ministering to sexually broken people until it learns for itself what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. The goal of the church is not to bash homosexuals. The goal of the church is not to mold our men and our women into cultural stereotypes. The goal of the church is not simply to avoid divorce. The goal of the church isn't even heterosexual marriage. The goal of the church is for our women and our men to conduct their marriages in such a way that the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel is proclaimed. That is the goal. When the world looks at how I love my wife, what they should see is the joy of Adam when he woke up. What they should see is self-sacrificing love of Jesus pursuing his bride. What they should see in my marriage is me taking the initiative to love my wife like Christ took the initiative to save me. I am called to love Kelly. Here's another way to put it. Men are called to love their wives like she just popped out of his rib and like Christ loved the church. Matthew Henry, I think this is one of the best quotes in church history. The woman was made out of a rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Man, that's a tweet right there. (laughs) That is good. The Puritans, man. Human sexuality is given to us not simply for our own enjoyment, but so that we can live out the gospel for ourselves. So that when I come here on a Sunday morning and I preach salvation by faith through grace alone, I say, grace is, it is, by, it is by God's sovereign grace, He loved us um, so that we love Him. When I come in here and I talk about God's mercy and how he sought me before I sought him, when I go home, God says, okay, you just preached all that. Go show that to your wife. Manhood and womanhood are not artificial categories. They mean something. If you're a woman today in this room, God made you so with a divine purpose and meaning. If you're a man in here, you were created with a purpose. Even if you're not married. Even if you're not married, I know men can be protectors and servants and women can be helpers. We have plenty of people in this room right now who aren't married who fulfill those roles in some way. Right now we're experiencing a sexual revolution in our culture. I mean we are. We're in the middle of a sexual revolution. And and I'm, I'm not being exaggerated when I say that. Um, it's amazing today what our world thinks a man and a woman is. Men want to be women. Women want to be men. Couples get married for 20 years. Here's a new one. Couples can be married for like 20 years and they don't want to have kids now because it limits their freedom. That's a part of it. Divorce is rampant. And a lot of people are going, Pastor, why is, why is all this happening? LGBTQ, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, I, I'm scared. Liberals are taking over. It's sitting in the world I grew up in. I want the good old days. Why is this happening? Well, here's, here's, what, I, here's what I have to say. When men in the church stop serving their brides... When women in the church stop submitting to their husbands. When the church forgets why marriage exists and detaches the message of the gospel from marriage. When couples get divorced because they value their own happiness over Christ's faithfulness. Can we really be surprised when we think that manhood and womanhood are now negotiable? let's not let's not stick our th- homosexuality is an abomination to the lord so is divorce and we got really too comfortable tearing apart what god has joined together we got way too comfortable as a church letting men think that manhood was about muscles we got way too comfortable telling women that their value was in their physical beauty. And what we've done as a church is we've slowly taken the bait from culture until now when we said, I want what makes me happy. Can we really be surprised 20 years later when that is the, that is the rallying cry of the LGBT movement? I want it because it makes me happy. If that is the way we treated manhood and womanhood, now they want their cake and to eat it too. And we don't fight homosexuals. We don't bash transgender people. The greatest weapons that God has given us against homosexual culture today are godly marriages that reflect the love of the gospel. Unbelievers will watch the way I love my wife. And in our culture today... If I were to walk up to a feminist, (laughs) and I would go, hey, um, I've got authority in my home. That means i got authority over my wife. What do you think she would say? Uh, Thank you, bigot. You're archaic. You're a barbarian. You're You're a misogynist. Abby, you are the problem with our world today. Thinking that you have authority over women. Get out of here. But what if I invited that woman into my home? What if I brought that woman into my home and I let her see me wash the dishes for my wife? What if I brought that woman into my home and let her see me mop the floor? What if I let that woman into my home and let her see me write love letters to my wife? I wouldn't let her read them. but What if I let that woman see how I bless my wife, how I ask her how she wants to feel loved, how I study my wife, how I meet her needs, how I listen to her, how I watch the show she wants to watch... I think after a while, if that feminist watched me love my wife with gospel love, I don't think she would have a problem with gospel authority. The problem isn't that we hate authority. The problem is we've been given such a worldly view of authority that now we don't even know what it looks like when we actually see it. And that is why... When I want to become a good husband, and I want to know what marriage is, and when I want to know about what it means to be a man, I don't take my cues from the world. I have to go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I love Kelly? How did Christ love his bride? He cherished her. He nurtured her. He pursued her. He seeked her. He wooed her. When we take our wives for granted and we demand that they do things for us before we start doing things for them, we tell a lie about the gospel we believe. And we prove whether we believe in Jesus by the way we love our brides. Here's something hard to hear. Getting married to someone and going on a honeymoon is no guarantee that you love that person unconditionally. I think... Our culture has proven that. But being married to a person for 30 years, let me be careful here, I applaud that, but that is no guarantee that you've been faithful to the gospel. It is time to do away with cultural stereotypes and come back to the gospel as our blueprint for marriage. So here it is. I'm going to, answer, I'm going to try to answer as best I can. What does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman? I remember in school sometimes... I would need to find an answer to a question. And there'd be books this big. And I'd go. Just give me the answer. Come on. Just. Never answer the question. So I don't want you to say that about my sermon this morning. So I'm going to try to answer right now. As best I can. And it's hard. What does it mean to be a man? And what does it mean to be a woman? Because. If being a man is being really strong and really masculine, then that means Franklin is more of a man than I am. If it means like building things with your hands, Ben is more of a man than I am. If it means good looks, Josh Danforth has me beat. If those are things that make a man, then I'm done. If it's money, then my goodness, I ain't been a man ever. What does it mean to be a woman? Is it just physical beauty? Is it self-confidence? Is that what it is? Is it education? Is it good family values? What does it mean to be a woman? I'm, t- well, I'm telling you right now. Has it, how many times, and I bet you could name in one hand, how many times you've actually tried to define that. It's a very interesting question, and it's an important one. And here's another thing. Being a man and a woman is not dependent on being married. If that's the case, the Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ. So, as best I can, first, what does it mean to be a man? Well, when I answer that, what's the first thing I'm going to go to? Come on, if you've been listening. The gospel. Okay, the second thing, I'm going to go to the garden. So here's how I would define it. I, I can't define it, but I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to see what distinguishes and how I would know. True manhood gladly assumes self-sacrificial responsibility after the example of Adam in Genesis 2. And most ultimately, like Jesus Christ, love the church. That is, about how, that is the best definition, broadly speaking, I can give. And, and here's, here's the reason. I gave every thought to every word. Gladly, you got to do it with joy. You got to lead your bride. Jesus Christ didn't come up to the church and be like, "Get over here! I must save you for your sins." Come on, good. You can go to heaven now. Don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> Self-sacrificially, Jesus gave His own life. I got to go to the. I got to go and give my own life for my bride, like Jesus Christ did for the church. Responsibility. Every man loves authority, but you don't like responsibility, do you? Our flesh doesn't. And I take my cues from what Jesus did and what Adam was supposed to do. And we're going to find out next week how he didn't do that. Okay, what does it mean to be a woman? This one's harder, because I'm not one. But in some ways, I don't need to be one, do I? Here it is. True womanhood is marked by humble, submissive spirit of helping, serving, and trusting. After the example of Eve in Genesis 2. And most ultimately like the church submits to the Christ. I'm, opening, I'm open to being critiqued after the service. If you disagree with that. But here's the thing. I'm only drawing that from the gospel itself. And some of these apply to both men and women. It's not like women have a monopoly on being humble. But that's entailed when men die for their brides. But what we see in Eve is submitting to the authority of Adam. And what we see in the church is submitting and gladly, humbling, trusting, and following Christ. Do you know what that, tell, now, you know what that should tell? We should go down to Newton County High and, and say that to what, what, what our young men and young women think today. How radically different that is. You know, you know why? Because women have been fed. I'm going to pick on women for a second. Women have been fed that that word means you're a doormat. In fact, when I just said it and some of y'all are reading it, you might have gone, oh, "I don't like that." Well, that's because you've taken your cues from the culture and not from the gospel. You know, my wife, I have authority over my wife, and I would assume, if you know my wife, that she's not a doormat. She's actually kind of sassy. She becomes herself by me having authority over her and loving her and serving her as if I were Christ and she were the church. So let's go with the final two verses, verses 24 through 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pick those two apart. Not ashamed. I am not ashamed to have authority in my home. I'm not. If it was good enough for God, why isn't it good enough for me? And here's another thing. I'm not ashamed because I have the opportunity to portray and depict the message of the gospel in my marriage. Naked and unashamed. Things were good. I am not ashamed to be able to tell the world what Christ did for me in the way that I love Kelly. And another one. One flesh. I will never ask anyone in here who's married. I will never ask. I will never come to a spouse and tell you not to tell your other spouse. I won't do it. Now, I'm I'm not saying it's a sin if you do. I just won't ask you to do that. And the reason I don't do that is theological. If you are one flesh with your bride, I'm not going to ask you to live out a schizophrenic marriage. (laughs) You are one. You're one with her. And here's another thing, every time the one flesh union, that means I have never actually won an argument with my wife. Men, raise your hand if you've ever felt good after having an argument with your wife and winning. You never have. Why is it? Because after you get that word in, you're like, I feel like not good. That's because after you had a fight with your other half, you kicked yourself because you're one flesh. Why is it? That's because when Christ saves his bride, he becomes what with her? One. He gives gives the church all his best gifts. Christ gives himself to his church. And Christ unites himself with his church by his spirit. So that forever in heaven, that bond, when we say in Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? The answer is nothing. how great is the love of jesus that's what marriage should let us at the end of the day when kelly and i when death do us part sorry that's really morbid but i should go one i didn't deserve my wife's love but oh how good jesus is i want to conclude when kelly and i die we will not be married That's hard to hear. Christ is very explicit, Matthew 23, about the fact that we're not married in heaven. Why is that? Because marriage is only given to us so that we can foreshadow the eternal wedding with Christ forever in heaven. That's why the people who are not married in here, eternally speaking, you're not missing out. Because earthly marriage is but a foretaste and a practice session preparing you for your eternal wedding with the bridegroom. Which is why Paul said, you know, that marriage is a good thing, but I don't need it. But on the other hand, the last slide I wanted to say was, marriage is a training ground for our eternal wedding with Jesus and a proving ground for our faith. No one in here has sanctified me and shaped me like Kelly. And that's by design. If you this morning, you're going, man, this is kind of deep. I've never really thought about this. Well, you're a man, ain't you? You're a woman, aren't you? We need to think deeply about what it means to be a man. It means to be a woman. If you've never given thought to this, think about this. The gospel of Jesus Christ shapes who we are And how we live our lives as men and women. And if we are not taking our cues from the gospel. We have no idea what it means to be either one. The gospel saves. And the gospel trains. And so every week I pray for our couples at this church. Not just that they would stay married. Although I do pray for that. But that they would stay married and they would stay sanctified. So this morning, I want us to give really a lot of thought to what it means to be a man and be a woman. Satan does not want you. He wants to to cloud your mind and to blind your eyes to the beauty of manhood and womanhood. Jesus says, you know what it means to be a man? Look Look at what I did on the cross. Women, do you want to know about what it means to be a woman? Look at the gospel. The gospel is all we need to be godly men and women in the church. Let's pray. Father, we all have fallen short. We fall short daily. We are unworthy of your love. Father, we ask humbly, hear our cries this morning. Turn your ear to our call. Father, hear our pleas for mercy. Show us what it means to live as godly men and women. We need your grace. We need your kindness. We need your guidance. Father, I pray that the men in here can live self-sacrificially as responsible image bearers of God and that the women in here that they can be helpers and they can be servants and that the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ would be enough. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.